know the why human trafficking work is needed to fight for the freedom of modern day slaves. But love, passion, commitment isn't all you need to be an effective and successful anti-trafficking advocate. Learn the how. I'm Dr. Celia Williamson, Director of the Human Trafficking and Social Justice Institute at the University of Toledo. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation podcast, where I'll provide you with the latest and best methods, policy, and practice discussed by experienced experts in the field so that you can cut through the noise, save time, and be about the work of saving lives. So I'm sitting around thinking, there are so many people that want to be great anti-trafficking advocates and they don't have time to find the right tools, to find out where the good trainings are, to get connected to the right people. And I used to be one of those people. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to do something really great, but I wasn't connected. I didn't know where to even go to get connected. So I was thinking to myself, how can I help make that happen? I'm pretty connected. I, I need to figure out how to bring the experts together that are doing the work with the people who want to do effective work. So how can I do that? Ah, that's called a podcast where you bring experts to the ears of people that are taking a walk or driving or whatever so that you don't waste their time, but they're also getting excellent information. In the beginning, I had no idea how to do a podcast, right? But I know podcasting is the way that I want to go. And I've always been that type of person, the type of person that's like, okay, what do we need to do? And whatever we need to do, I'm going to do it to make this happen. So trust and believe if somebody locks you and I up in a room and tells us it's a game and we have two hours to figure out how to get out, I'm your girl. I will figure it out. Unless there's a zombie. Okay, side note, let me explain. My sister and I did do one of those rooms, but no one told me that there was also going to be a zombie in the room. And uh, yeah, I ended up uh, dying and not getting out of the room. But if there hadn't been a zombie, I would have figured it out and I would have been your girl. So anyway, I tried taping something. Um, I absolutely hated the sound of my voice. Uh, but I know that I want to do a podcast. So I had to try to set aside vanity and, and do the damn podcast, okay? I like listening to podcasts, so I would listen to them. I watch YouTube videos. I, I bought the equipment. I practiced along, and I started the podcast. And I've always been that type of person that can figure it out. Everything is figure outable. And, and that's actually a book by Marie Forleo. Everything is figure outable. I have over 26 years experience in trafficking alone and over 30 in professional helping. And I know a lot of people across the U.S. and around the world. And I thought if I could bring these two people together, the experts in the field that could share information together with passionate advocates and make this thing happen, then what I would be doing is helping to serve the cause in the best way. That's what you do as a social worker, as an organizer that I am. And over the years, I've done a lot for academia and academics. 
See, when you have a PhD, you have to do three things. You have to publish. So I got a few PhDs that have worked, been working in the area of human trafficking together. And we kicked around the idea of having a journal. My friend, Dr. Rochelle Dalla, she's at the University of Nebraska, saw the journal through. And the journal is reality today. It's the Journal of Human Trafficking. It's an international journal. And she's going to be on in a couple of weeks talking about that. This is a place where researchers could publish. You know, uh, back in the day, they would be trying to publish in journals and journals would say, I don't understand what this is. I don't know what you're talking about. So being able to have a place where researchers could publish was awesome. Um, and be, being able to have a place where practitioners could go and access information was great. I started a professional conference in Toledo. And uh, now people looking to get tenure have a professional place that they can go and present their works. They have an international conference that they can attend. I designed a human trafficking course. I teach people how to design a human trafficking course for a university. And that's the recipe for getting tenure. You do teaching, uh, you do research, aka publication and grant writing, and you do service, or you get involved with the university committee, or you get involved with the local uh, community or regional or national community. So my friends and I even got together and we formed the Global Association of Human Trafficking Scholars. And that's a professional research-focused organization for researchers and other people to belong to. See, I like to set those platforms up. And I didn't do it by myself. There were lots and lots of people involved that were very knowledgeable and skilled and passionate. So why did we do these things? Because we know that if we can help academics and researchers to be successful, that they'll stay in the human trafficking field and they'll continue to conduct research. And if they continue to conduct research, the world will learn more, be more effective, and we can move the knowledge base forward in the area of trafficking. But I began to think about the practitioners and the policymakers and you know, the lawyers and the social workers, the healthcare providers, the counselors, the criminal justice professionals, and all the helpers that want to do the best work, but don't have time to look up the latest research and then cipher through those big $5 words that all us PhDs, you know, learn to say and try to impress other audiences with. And the PhDs and the articles and the research that really talk over the practitioners' heads and it gets lost in translation. And so the real meaning can't even be ascertained from it. So I happen to be bilingual. I can speak that academic and research language and I understand a good deal of it. And I can speak that practitioner language because I have several years of that experience and I can translate one to the other. For instance, I love this one. Somebody says, I'm going to do a dichotomous longitudinal study. Wow, like I am impressed. Okay, wait, but you're going to do a dichotomous, dichotomous. Okay, does that mean you're going to ask yes, no questions? Yes. And longitudinal, doesn't that mean you're going to do it over time? Yeah. Okay, so you're going to ask yes, no questions over time? Yeah. 
Oh my God. <laughs> Why don't you just speak English? Anyway, that's what I bring to the table. And I have lots of friends. I've hosted an international conference on human trafficking in 17 years. And I've had at least 50 presenters each year and thousands of attendees. So in doing the math, I know a lot of people doing this work and people that have become experts in their fields. Like I said, I also spent 26 years in anti-trafficking work myself. So why not bring those two things together to make life a little more easier for the anti-trafficking advocate? Bring right to the advocate's ears, straight from the expert's mouths, the jewels and the gems. So now, uh, you know how you say you walk alongside victims and you support them to become survivors and thrivers. You don't have to do it for them. You just have to support them to make it easier for them to do. Same thing. So I started to ask my friends to be on the, the podcast. And I can tell you, I was terrified that they would say no, or that this was stupid, or, or I was scared that I would have two listeners. So you ever watch uh, Big Bang Theory with Sheldon Cooper? He had a YouTube channel uh, called Fun with Flags, and he had one follower. So I figured out if I had two listeners, I would be better than fun, uh, fun with flags. So <laughs> but in order to be fully helpful, I feel like I really need to be my full and authentic self. And I don't think I've done that yet. I feel like you and I are still dating. And, you know, if you remember dating, uh, if you remember dating, remember your real self didn't even show up yet for about three months. You always look great. Your hair was always curled or combed or your outfit was on. You know, your underwear didn't have holes in it. You always presented like your best self. What you did was you sent your representative. It wasn't you. They had met you yet. <laughs> so they meet you in about three months of a relationship. And so I feel like you don't know me yet. Like, you know, the likeness of me. So let me tell you about that for a minute. So I got my PhD in 2000. I was the first at Indiana University's PhD social work program to win the Student Researcher of the Year Award. Um, I became an academic at Western Michigan University and then I moved home to the University of Toledo to get on the tenure track. I got tenure in four years, so I was early. Usually it takes an academic six years to achieve tenure. And I've risen through the ranks of academia with great speed. What people don't know is that when you teach at a university, you're an instructor. Then you get a full-time position or you enter as a, a, an assistant professor on the tenure track. Once you're on the tenure track, it takes you six years to become tenured. Once you're tenured, they call you an associate professor. Now, if, and many people don't do this, but if you achieve national prominence in your field and you've published meaningful works and you've gotten funded grants or whatever the combination is, then you can become a full professor. So students 
call all people teaching at a university professor, but to become a professor takes time and a lot of work. And about 1% of full professors at universities become a distinguished professor. Now that's what I am. Also, I've been successfully federally grant funded. Um, I have received at one point 10 years consecutive years of funding from the National Institutes of Health and or the Department of Justice. I've received funding from national foundations, local foundations, state level grants. I've written grants for the community. I've done over 200 presentations, uh, 20 plus keynote presentations and numerous, been on numerous panels across the US and in other countries. I started a, a local anti-trafficking coalition that's now thriving with about 80 members and about 50 people that show up regularly every month. I was one of the founding members of the Ohio Attorney, General Human, Ohio Attorney General's Human Trafficking Commission, and I chaired the Research and Analysis Subcommittee for the state. Back in the day, I started the first direct service anti-trafficking program in Ohio, and that was in 1993. I did street outreach, I went into the jails and the juvenile detention centers. I talked and assessed victims. I met with adult and youth at risk. I facilitated groups for survivors and I started support groups for survivors. I started the Human Trafficking Institute at the University of Toledo and I serve as the director there. And I still host the oldest and largest academic conference on human trafficking in the nation. I've published numerous peer-reviewed articles, edited books, written several book chapters, government reports, my own memoir called A Seat at the Table. I have powerful friends all over the world that do the same types of things, from starting academic journals to conducting state-level and national programs and funded grants. And... Now that you are hopefully adequately impressed, I don't think you still know who I am <laughs> because those are the things that appear on my resume. And I've done a lot of work in this area. But I feel like we're still dating and I'm showing you who I am in the first three months. But I need to show you who I really am because I think that there are several advocates out there that think that they can't do something or they can't reach a level of their dreams or maybe they connect to people and they see that these other folks have accomplished and achieved and that somehow they're not taken from the same cloth that, that I am so I can't possibly do that or be that. And you couldn't be further from the truth. So I just told you about my accomplishments and I've racked up a lot and it makes a nice resume. But I want you to know that I wasn't interested in school when I was in high school. By my senior year in high school, I was attending school maybe once a week. I was mostly interested in drinking beer, lots of beer, skipping school, hanging out, playing poker, talking to friends, smoking weed, experimenting with drugs. I actually tried to quit school at the age of 17, but my mother just was not having it. 
uh, you get your high school diploma or you die. So I would like to live. So I got my high school diploma. I managed to squeak by, get my diploma, like the summer after everybody graduated. My dream was to be a weed dealer. So I bought a pound of weed and was so happy about my newfound career that I had a big party. Well, you know what happens. <laughs> I don't even need to tell you. But I woke up the next day, the whole pound of weed stolen. So I figured I wasn't really good at weed dealing, so I might listen to my father and give college a try. I wasn't confident enough to just jump right into a four-year degree, so I went to a community college. With the same mindset, I went enough times to get some C's, which is all my family required because they didn't know anything about college. They know that they have five daughters. They know that four of them are doing really well. And then the last one, me, preferred to drink and experiment with street drugs, hang out with friends, and basically do nothing with my life. So my parents gave me a small apartment to live in that they owned, which lived across the street from their house in a low-income neighborhood in North Toledo. And I know they prayed and crossed their fingers and said, please be something before we die. And I was going to school, but I got involved in domestic violence relationships over and over. I managed to get my two-year degree. And once I got that, wow, I had actually accomplished something. It was something that was tangible. And I actually thought that I wasn't deserving that somebody slipped up and they gave it to me. And I think I thought that about myself because I had heard that message over and over again that I was not going to do anything or be anything. I heard that at, at school, at high school, when they put me in home economics class all day, every day during my senior year in high school. All I had to do was report to home economics and get a job at Burger King and they would give me my grades. I heard it when I went to medical clinics, and the main purpose that they had was to make sure that I had no sexually transmitted infections. I heard it every time I turned the television on, and I saw people that didn't look like me in movies winning. And I saw people that looked like me going to jail or cleaning other people's houses. I bought into those messages, lock, stock, and barrel. But wow, someone messed up this time and gave me a degree. <laughs> but they hadn't messed up. They rewarded me for the effort I put in. The effort was half-hearted, completed by a person with little confidence, and with their head toward being a famous and rich drug dealer. Lots of people have that dream today who are in prison. So once I confirmed that, I really was smart, and I sort of knew deep down that I was smart, but other people said very, in various ways that I wasn't, and I believed them. But once I figured out that if I applied myself, I could achieve in a way that was recognized by a legitimate entity in the world. So I went back 
and I got my bachelor's, then I got my master's, then I got my PhD. Like I had the formula. And, but I want you to know that when I started my first class in community college, all you had to do was take a basic writing class. It wasn't even a real college class yet. It was like, let's prepare you for a college class. And all I had to do was write 10 paragraphs successfully. I failed that course. So determined that I am, I took it again and I failed it again. I had to take the basic writing class three times to even be successful enough to take a regular college course. I worked at it, worked at it, worked at it until I became successful. And then I took additional writing courses that weren't even required so that I could become better and better and better. And thus, the podcast. I hope the podcast continues to become better and better and better. And I hope that it reaches and fulfills the people that it's intended to reach and fulfill. My latest venture is the Emancipation Nation Network. And that's a place where you can become a member connect with other advocates across the U.S. and around the world. We already have over 250 members of the network. I want you to consider joining the network. Come in, look around, look at the tools, the screening tools, the assessments, the intake forms. Look at the latest research we have listed there for you. Go and visit the rooms and look at the live events that we have coming up. We have courses and workshops for you to take when you're ready to level up and really become skilled at your craft, you can consider taking those courses. But you know what? You can become a skilled expert in your area for free. All you have to do is listen to the podcast, come into the rooms, pick up the materials, read the materials, reach out, get a mentor, ask questions. Spend time there. Come to the live events that we have. Join the different rooms of interest. Go into the courses and workshops and look for the free ones and take those. And when you're really ready to take that deep dive, then you can choose the paid courses that will take you to a whole nother skill level. The network is there for you to connect to other people to become more educated, to increase your skills. When you're ready to invest in yourself and go to the next level, we're going to be offering you challenges for you to grow personally and professionally. We're going to have courses for you to take that will take you to that new level. So consider joining the network and and having your friends and colleagues join the network. Right now, I'm really focused on trying to populate the network. So if you know people that are passionate about anti-trafficking work or that are doing trafficking work and you're like, oh, wow, it would be great if you like knew what you were doing, <laughs> then most certainly invite those folks to join the network. 
but people that are skilled and are experts, ask them to join the network. So my challenge for you today is to ask at least five people to join the Emancipation Nation Network. Come on in yourself and become a member. And I'm going to talk more about my life and my experiences and the Emancipation Nation Network in part two of next week's episode. In the meantime, the podcast is hitting 10,000 downloads. I want to say I thank you so much and I appreciate you. Let's not just do something, let's do the best thing. If you like this episode of Emancipation Nation, please subscribe and I'll send you the weekly podcast. Until then, the fight continues. <laughs>